before we begin this episode, it's recording now. Uh, before we begin, I just want to uh, uh, let our audiences know that I have a cough, which is so do I. The it's not all about you, Derek. My <laughs> cough is the dregs of a cold I had last. I'm going to out cough you tonight, John. <laughs> You're I'm going to cough right? you more. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to cough more than you will. And without further ado, this is the Real Good Podcast. My name is John Roebuck, and with me is Blake Loki Curtis. How are we, everybody? And Derek Ultron Armstrong. <coughs> See, I got a good start. There we go. This episode is called Throwing Down the Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah. And that's because we'll be talking about Avengers Infinity War. If you've been living under a rock, here's a synopsis that we found on the internet. Iron Man, Thor, the Hulk, and the rest of the Avengers unite to battle their most powerful enemy yet, the evil Thanos. On a mission to collect all six Infinity Stones, Thanos plans to use the artifacts to inflict his twisted will on reality. The fate of the planet and existence itself has never been more uncertain, as everything the Avengers have fought for has led up to this moment. Derek, kick us off. This is the movie all the kids are talking about, isn't it? Oh. This is well. It's starting to set box office records. It's fastest to one billion all time yeah. worldwide. In the U.S., it had the biggest opening ahead of Force Awakens for the first weekend. Just tells you something about where Marvel has come and how they've really built an empire out of this. And I got to tell you, it uh, it shows and it satisfied me. Um, uh, there's been a lot of individual movies within the Marvel uh, MCU that I didn't care for, but the um, accumulated storytelling of these. 18 movies really um, surprisingly invested me in the characters of, in this film. I was tense. Um, I knew some some shit was going to happen in the first scene. Um, spoiler alert. Where uh, Let's do a major all over up and down spoiler alert at the start of this if podcast. If they're listening, they've seen it. If they're listening, they've seen it. Um, but um, I was I was incredibly invested, and throughout I was just wrapped with attention. And I, I really, really like this film. This was one of my favorite MCU movies. Blake. Blake, <laughs> um, I actually want to talk about uh, another film. This actually kind of reminds me of is, um, do you know, like in Ready Player One, you know how it, it's kind of a story about, have you both seen Ready yep. Player One? How it ha- It's a story about two different classes yep. and one class thinking they're superior to the other class. Yes. Yeah. Do you, do you like that? So that that con- you see that in this film. I see that in this film, which okay. I find that I'm really fascinating. Player one, yeah, <laughs> it was pretty forgettable. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so you're saying so who are the who are the classes in in, uh, in Infinity War? Um, I reckon there's the there's Thanos mm-hmm. who has a particular ideolo- ideological point of view, yeah. and then there is the Western world as I see it, kind of represented by. You know, Westerners essentially, and well, the it, southern it, world. If you're thinking of Thanos' <laughs> space and yeah. the Earth as south of space, yeah, it yeah. sure yeah. is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, I think what was fascinating with this film is that um, Marvel essentially, in my mind, showed de- finally declared their hand on how they feel a lot of, about a lot of political issues. I think for a long time they've kind of been playing politics on which side of the fence they want to join, and I think just recently with this film they've kind of made a decision of. 
here's where we draw the line. See, okay. I think this is. Uh, I was. I've seen it three times for some reason because every time I've wow, seen it, didn't I even really didn't like never it. really like it. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think it's in some ways Marvel's ballsiest movie. Yes, almost, absolutely. Uh, which is what, which is what I was I trying to say. I don't know if it's in my in from my point of view. I don't know if it's political audacity. I think maybe yeah. narrative audacity. Yeah, I was um, gonna balls. I was gonna gonna uh, evoke balls myself because uh, uh, <laughs> I like to do whenever possible. I love it. I love balls. Okay, Derek. Um, <laughs> that was the first thing. I, I, as soon as I got out of the cinema last last week, I, I messaged my friend and I said, "I said that movie had balls," and he didn't agree because he actually thought it was all um, uh, there were no there were no stakes that they couldn't take back. Um, yeah. And I don't think that that's really the way they're going to go with it. And they've actually already worried about all the backlash of people saying, "Oh, most of those characters aren't dead." Which is true, but they're not. But some of them certainly are, and I think they've made daring choices for the first time in, a, in an MCU film, where with permanent stakes that they're not going to reverse. Uh, what about Winter Soldier, Hydra, Shield? Completely. No, you know, no, no. Did any characters that you care about die in those films? Is it all about character death? Progression. That's we've reached a place in society. Sick fuck. We've we've reached a place in society, especially with peak TV, yeah. where. A, a show, a, a shows in this case is edginess is measured by whether they're willing to kill off major characters. Like the model for that is obviously Game of Thrones, right? So you watch but, Game of Thrones, never knowing who's going to die yeah. at any given point, because you know that they will will they throw out the rule book and they'll do whatever they feel like. Marvel has been playing it safe all these years, having villains that were one dimensional that were really hard to. To, to fear because you knew they were going to be defeated ultimately and you knew that the only way Marvel thought that they could establish a villain as being really threatening is to make them yeah. as scary and as un, I, unyielding as possible. I agree with you in every regard except for the second two Captain America movies which I think finished with uh, permanent change uh, with victories that f- felt like maybe perhaps they weren't victories. But in general, okay. I Pyrrhic think... victories. Yeah. yeah. So at, at points in Marvel, did you feel the way in similar ways with Game of Thrones. Did you think that oh, Marvel could be so unpredictable like Game of Thrones with, with how cutthroat characters would just go away? Well, I don't think show? this is necessarily a Game of Thrones esque movie. No. I, for the record, I don't like Game of Thrones. and I. F- but you did when it started. Like, I remember you yeah, liking yeah, season no, yeah, one. Season one was great. Yeah. Uh, so what, what one, do you the think? ending of season one is like the big um, a template for what Game of Thrones came, went to, came on to be and what... A, a really daring thing. I mean, a major. I won't say who because some people may not have seen it, but a major character dies at the end of game season one of Game Thrones. Game of Thrones, and this was the first MCU movie where I actually felt like that could happen. Yeah, and that's kind of what I'm saying. And I think maybe that's its principal strength. And yes. there's a lot of weaknesses. I think from a narrative point of view, I think there's a, the elements for a great story are there, but it's not enough to have the elements of a great story if you don't string, or if you don't yeah string those elements together. Coherently. What, so, what? So you you didn't think this was coherent? Because it was no well, coherent, but maybe not considerately. So, I think by the time uh, we entered into the um, third act, by the time I knew we were in the third act, we've been in the third act for about half an hour. Uh, okay, but but can, can those, I just... those Black Order characters? I feel like we're introduced without any sense of weight. Uh, mm. um, all of a sudden, they were there and they were fighting, and then they were dead. And I want like. If the Russos had, uh, who have previously demonstrated a pretty solid capacity for this sort of thing, if they'd spent two minutes establishing who the Black Order were, then their presence would have had. A, uh, that just at, at that point, they're just a hoobajoob that needs to be defeated. Kind of, I think. I mean, I think some of that plot mechanics 
There was a lot of that to, though, like well, that Phantom Menace esque battle scene that I just couldn't care. Okay, but but, but consider the the scope of what they had to accomplish with this film. I mean, would it, I wouldn't be exaggerating to say that there are thirty main characters, would I? Oh, no. it's certainly it's a, it's it a logistical a, masterpiece. It is a marvel but, of but, to yeah, be, yeah. absolutely, yeah. but that doesn't make it a great film, and or like. Or even a good one. And I think there's incredibly impressive elements. But they announced the release date of this movie before Age of Ultron had even come out. It's one of, if not the most ambitious movies ever made. I almost wish that they'd given it at the time that it needed for the Russos to evaluate whether the script was up to scratch and whether all the decisions they were making were the correct ones. Because these guys have made two of the best Marvel films, two out of the three only good Marvel movies in my opinion, and yeah. I was surprised by how rough around the edges this movie was. Mm, disagree completely. The thing is, I see this as an outgrowth of their Captain America movies. I don't see it as an outgrowth of the two Avengers movies that Joss Whedon made. Um, I They are obsessed with continuing to reference those films. Like Tony Stark has to, again, talk about his trauma from the first Avengers from New York. And somehow they have to mention Ultron and the city they tried to save in, in, in Age of Ultron. But ultimately, this is the third Captain America movie. Of those of that Russo trilogy, I think the sensibilities that were established there, the brilliant orchestration that was established there, the action scenes that were established there, that's all paid off in this film. I think of this as more of like the next Captain America film in terms of those sensibilities going forward. Well, the Captain America movies, I think, especially Civil War, Civil War for me was the one movie that made utilized the what the potential of what Marvel can offer to its full potential. Mm. It felt like, like a progression of almost every single Marvel movie that came before it. Mm. And it satisfyingly, I think, progressed characters that hadn't really been satisfyingly progressed in their own standalone movies. Mm. Yeah, I agree with and, that. And, yeah. and Civil War made me kind of uh, almost have the opinion that uh, what Marvel has is the most expensive television show of all time. Mm, yeah. It's long-form narrative in, with enormous budgets, and this wants oh, this this pu- is the idea behind this movie is that it, it evokes that same idea, Although, but it doesn't to me at all. Mm. You liked it more than than John did, I believe. Well, I, it's really interesting because I have taken it from another vantage point completely as well. In that, what attracted me so much to this film because I completely agree and understand where you're both coming from yep. is is the character. I, I, like I, Thanos, just kind of yeah, like let's talk about he, Thanos. He really just kind of captured right. He captured my imagination. Like yeah, so, so Marvel has had a villain problem for a very long time, and that's because, and that's, as I said a few minutes ago, they the only way they can imagine for a villain to be frightening is to just make him incomprehensibly evil and dedicated to his mission. Now, Thanos is those things sort of, but he has a ton of soul. And they spent a lot of time establishing that. And, you know, um, he cries in a couple scenes. They're not crocodile tears either. I think he's genuinely moved by the things that he has to do in this film. And I don't know that it makes it him scary, but then I don't know if that's what I need from him. I need him. It makes to, him compelling. Makes him, makes him compelling. Yeah. And it makes him someone whose story I'm interested in following, someone who I can believe as a real character, not just a guy who, you know, cackles wickedly and wants to overthrow the universe. Well, think you know? about other, other great comic book movie villains. I mean,. Off the top of my head, I can think of obviously the Joker. Mm-hmm. I really love Bane. I and would also Bane P- Prince Nuada from um, uh, Hellboy Two. I think is a really great villain, and none of them have this sort of um, galactical, you know, scale powers to destroy mm-hmm. the world. They're all just interesting villains for different yeah. reasons. Yeah. 
That's two coughs for one, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Since we've been talking about other um, other uh, previous uh, Marvel movies too, I wanted to talk about one of my favorites, which was um, uh, Thor Ragnarok from last year. Um, I, just, I can't remember what either of you guys felt about that, but so-so. Uh, yeah. so. mm-hmm. um, that film really made me um, kind of get into the Thor, the, the Thor series, which I previously thought was, was kind of boring. Um, and, and that was a, a rollicking comedy in a lot of respects. And this film, that was one of the big shocks of this film, is this this absolutely just cuts it off at the knees. It's like, any more Thor movies? Nope. I mean, it's like the opening scene of this film, really, really, like, I was just, like, filled with tension and kind of dread and nausea, because, like, I'd, I realized I'd kind of come to love these characters, and boy, look at what's happening to them. Thanos is just running over them roughshod. I thought it was it was an incredibly intense scene, and I really liked it. Well, do you know what my problem with uh, The Last Thor was? It did the opposite of what... Captain America Civil War did, mm. which was completely erased everything that had come before, including any sense of character development. Essentially, you're watching a completely new set of characters, even though that was Loki and Thor, which I'm not totally opposed to, but I feel like a, a middle ground where it had utilised some of the things that had come before might have sort of benefited the film more because it felt quite hollow to me as a result. Mm. That's just my thoughts on Thor. Uh, well, wh- what did you think? Um, I mean, so let, so obviously we've given our spoiler warning already. Loki dies in the opening scene. Do you think that's a trick? Do you think that's a permanent death? Do you think Tom Hiddleston wants out? What do you th- What do you think of that? I think it's permanent because, especially because Thanos says no more resurrections and re- resurrections yeah. this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah when I and I and I thought it was like incredibly intense the way he does it. I mean, he strangles him to death. Like I was just thinking about like whether I might be able to show this, yeah, well, that's this what, movie to my seven-year-old. And I said, yeah. I saw that scene, I said, I don't think so. Well, that's what I thought as well. And that's what I guess I was talking about when they, I said Marvel kind of declared their hand. So that's the, they've made a choice about what age group they are yeah. interested in capturing. Mm-hmm. A Like where, where does this Marvel thing stop? Does it stop with teenagers? Does it stop with like, you know, 12-year-olds or is it eight-year-olds? It's like yeah. eight to 12, that's that middle ground because it's like – Someone gets strangled in the first thing, and it's it's a big scary man. That's oh, all yeah. he is. Yeah. Like I could imagine meeting someone like Thanos down at the pub who'd be like, "Oh, let's kill half the universe," and it's like, "Yeah, right, oh Thanos," like you know, patty. So they like weirdly <coughs> humanized him as being this weird character that like right, I oh, that Thanos. I really <laughs> had at that point though, when you first meet but him, you know what I mean. When like you first meet him though, he is not. Yeah, he hasn't been right, given like, that trait, those traits yet. You're like. Oh, just another evil bad guy who can do whatever he wants. No, but to. for me, but then they started to no, develop but that, in it. But that's, but yeah. yeah, but that's what I'm saying. So that first bit is almost like this is not for your eight year old kids yeah. because we are going to choke someone and yeah. we're not afraid to show that. <laughs> and so it's like Star Wars, I think, is willing to go younger, and that's why Star Wars is kind of, you know. Less and less for us. It's heading more and more G-rated. <laughs> this is pretty intense stuff. Year old kids. Star Wars yeah, movies. because we're going to choke. But you know what I mean. That's what I meant by Marvel declaring their hand. Anyway, again with that scene, my problem with uh, with how it was executed was the script. I think I agree the with the entire that, yeah. film, the script was really shoddy, poorly written, yeah. actively poorly mm. written, uh, and any weight that that scene might have had, and any weight that the death of Loki might have had, was completely lost by the poor writing and the poor dialogue mm. that pre- preceded it. But they okay, also declared yeah. their hand in killing off, like, um, who's the guy who did Ragnarok? Oh, ha- 
Palmdale. Palmdale. Oh, wait. The Korg. Oh, Taika Waititi? Yeah, yeah. Taika Waititi. So, yeah, they like in terms of like he had set up this really interesting characters, all these refugees, you know, and they could have their own funny yeah. kind of quirky side nope. quest. <laughs> no, they all get killed within the first two seconds. Do they, it's like, we don't, no, I there's think, a line I, that says half, half of them half got of killed. Because yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. well, we didn't see Valkyrie, we didn't see Sif. And Valkyrie's alive. Yeah. Right? yeah oh, wow. I missed that then. Yeah. So um, she'll come back around at some point because that character's too awesome. Yeah. Drunk, yeah. drunk and falling off of, uh, of spaceships and stuff. Yeah, and I agree um, with what you're saying, Josiah. It's the idea. You know what this is? This is what rem- this is what Marvel reminds me of. It reminds me of Game of Thrones because yes, I believe it's the biggest um, TV show in the world. What we're seeing with Thanos is the, a mad king-like character. Mm. We're seeing the mad king. I don't actually see the mad king in Game of Thrones though. <laughs> I know, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like we, are, like you, they in the Game of Thrones, they talk about the time of the Mad King, and you never mm. see it. Whereas Marvel were going, the story we want to tell you is about the the era of the Mad King, which is Thanos. But the thing that's so scary about Thanos is he's actually rational in a lot of respects. Like that's he what has I'm saying. A specific goal, and so now, are they in Game of Thrones. I, 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 at some point in that TV show, I, I've agreed with every single character Game mm. of Thrones has present, presented me with. Yeah. Like that is such an achievement. Yeah, that's a good point. Hey, um, you know who I liked? Doctor Strange. Yeah, you know I agree, and I really liked the guy who tortured him. That, oh, that yeah, guy was, scared yeah, the hell out yeah, of me. Yeah, he was oh, was it, you mean the? Um, yeah, that guy. That uh, he was. I actually wrote his name down because I had no idea. His what name it was is. It's, uh, it's in my notes, which I, which I can't find at the moment. Oh, Ebony Maw. Ebony Maw. Yeah. Ebony Maw. I thought he was great. The actor was great. He portrayed him, and the character design was great. I love the fight that he had in New York with yeah. them originally, where they're. Raising cars in half and like uh, setting them off in but, different directions. But again, directions. with all of those Black yeah. Order characters, slightly uh, a minute more establishing who they were, were to give them a sense of presence within the film would have benefited the film enormously. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just, it just comes down to they this. Could the film they, really they, have been the, one minute the, longer the, though? The Russos <laughs> had two years. It's like yeah. two years since Captain America: Civil War came out. Yeah. I think mm. two years to make the most. Ambitious movie of all time, and I know Marvel's on a on a schedule here, but people people are going to wait for these movies. Yeah, like, it's a very and, good point. And, and well, when's the next one going to come out? Next if, year. if if, oh, if they really? put more, if if this movie had been as good as it, I feel like it might have been had the Russos been allowed that time, then it would make more money for Marvel, which is yeah. what they're really all about. Uh, yeah, I and, think, and that's I think what it is that good. But that's what I agree with as well, Jozza, is because I think what the Russos proved, and I think they've proved that since Community, is they're fanboys of film. They've always been fanboys of films. And so this this Avengers film is really just a tribute to the Dark Knight trilogy, which I think is the best superhero trilogy I've ever seen because it kind of it takes me to Batman's world. Like, I And I don't usually su- get that I with Marvel. I said superhero. Superhero. Oh, yeah. <laughs> superhero. <laughs> Like a super greeting. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I well part of the reason why they have to be on that schedule of getting the next the, the next one's coming out next year is because you can't continue to release other movies while all these other characters' fate hangs in the balance. And I think that kind of gets to the point of what my take on it is: everybody who got turned into dust at the end is going to be undusted mm. next time. Everyone who died in a way other than that is permanently dead. However. Let's talk about Gamora. I mean, Gamora is like one of the central parts of this film. Yeah, I think... She's not dying, right? She's not dying. Uh, no. The directors came out yeah, the, a few days ago yeah. saying she was trapped in the Soul Stone. Yeah, and is Thanos. That's any... They're pretty much... A, well, I'm saying... So no, Thanos isn't... He, that, he just went to the Soul Stone briefly because you see him after that scene yeah. on that planet. Yeah, yep. yeah. But uh, they, reckon, okay. they reckon all the other characters are going to go to that place yeah. as well. And so then they've got this like... 
that's the setup for the next film is you've yep. got the Avengers in the Soul Stone trying to get okay. back and you've got the heroes, I see. you know. Okay. Yeah, how do you together. understand, Derek? Yeah, well, uh, let's talk. Let's talk specifically about the ending, um, because I thought that was the ballsy part. I thought that was really great. You, in these films, you can't, you don't have that much leeway um, if you are looking at the long term trajectory of the MCU to kill off the characters that you might like to kill off. At least give us the sense of them being dead for a short time. And I thought that was amazing. And the, to end the, to end on Thanos looking kind of smug and satisfied after a job well done. Pretty, did, pretty, did, did pretty you take that as smug? I, I took that as there was uh, maybe a tinge of regret, and that's and absolutely, and that's part of what makes him such an interesting character. I think there there is regret in that. I mean, there's a point where someone asks him what it's cost him, and he says everything. Yeah. I mean, a villain doesn't say that. A villain says it's cost me nothing. I'm so happy now that I've killed half the universe. No, he regrets parts <laughs> of it, but he wins. I mean, in this film, he wins, and that's something that we've never seen a Marvel film do. And we've never thought the Marvel, a Marvel film had the courage to do it. And granted, everybody knows that there's a sequel to this movie coming out, and everybody knows that most of those people... I mean, Black Panther can't d- turn into dust. They've got at least three more movies of that planned, if, if, they, if they're smart. You know, so, but they've given us something that we never thought we could have, which is a temporary feeling that these characters are dead and gone, and that those characters cannot control their own fate to get back. Other people are going to have to save them. And I, I just thought it was it was something more than we usually get from these films. Mm. And I agree with that as well, which is why I was saying they're you know declaring their hand on where <laughs> they stand on what they want to be doing. And you know, Thanos was like I said before. I think he was a really interesting character, which I think is probably a good segue for our top three, John. Well, yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> and our top three has caused a lot of discussion <laughs> on our Facebook thread. <laughs> Uh, mainly fueled by Derek and Blakey. <laughs> Who wants to explain the top three? Oh, Blake can do it. Um, <laughs> Maybe we could read out your rant from the other day. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, so essentially, it's uh, uh, it's films. The top three films where the anti-hero is your protagonist. So that's someone who, um, like Thanos, um, believes in a different sort of um, humanity. Like he has his own ethic, ethical kind of ideas of the world mm-hmm. i think that's the best way of describing what an anti-hero is sure yeah yeah um yeah and uh yeah i'll i'll have my own variation on that but i'll explain that when i go yeah. so do yeah. you want to start please yeah yeah um so yeah top three for me is uh number three the original anti-hero in a lot of people's mind i think is norman bates from mm-hmm. psycho um that was very well played choice, yeah. um don't know really, really, really where to begin with this film. I'll probably start with the concept that um, Hitchcock back in the day had the balls to change the protagonist halfway through a film um, and he wasn't afraid to kill an innocent white woman, which at the time was unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then my number two uh, was, I always get this confused because of Norman Bates, Patrick Bateman. Um, in American Psycho, American Psycho, mm-hmm. where it feels like it's just Norman Bates with a bit more money yeah. and a bit more edginess, you know, yeah. same kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. 
John's pulling a face. No, I was it just thinking be. about that. Uh, they're both they're, they're both impersonating superhero. <laughs> <laughs> they're both they're both impersonating people because they don't really know how to be actual people. Yes, yeah. yeah. And then number one, um, kind of like Derek, Daniel Day Lewis, <laughs> which for me, for the first time, like made this that type of character. In Is that what you're talking about? In, no, in my no, left foot. <laughs> no, no, I'm talking about it in There Will Be Blood. Yes, um, and that is the first time that I've seen the anti-hero. Um, done with such complexity that I saw this as another person that I can see on the street. And that's what I saw in Thanos. And that's what I saw in no, um, Norman Bates. And that's what I saw in Patrick Bateman. So it's like they're all kind of got that perfect kind of villainess idea in my mind. That's a really good list. Mm. Yep. Uh, yeah, my variation on that is only that um, – because I think antiheroes are kind of a big a big thing now with like Walter White and Breaking Bad. Um, so I, I tried to take it a little bit, not not just – unlikable protagonists but but people who are actually kind of um would be the would be people that the police would hunt down and kind of uh take down and and your your all your examples are almost all that anyway but so fine fine differences but um in any case my number one is uh, a classic uh well at least in, in the, its literature literary origins which is uh, bram stoker's dracula uh and i've chosen to do the coppola version because that version is i guess more true to the story and more forefronts um uh, Dracula as the the protagonist, whereas um, Jonathan Harker or um, is, might be the protagonist in some other versions. In any case, um, it's a wonderfully art directed film, which I still think is incredibly fun, and um, it celebrates a man who is turning people to vampires and killing them. and And it's I thought it was a good example for this Something list. Worth celebrating. Worth worth celebrating. Uh, my number two is uh, the 1955 film Night of the Hunter. Uh, by Charles Great Watson. choice. Yeah. Great so, choice. So uh, Reverend Harry Powell, played by Robert Mitchum, um, is the main character in the story. We don't really even meet the people that he's trying to steal from and um, the woman that he's trying that he marries in order to get her fortune until um, some amount of time into the film. We start on him, and he's uh, he is a scary, scary character. Mm. I mean, he's uh, kind of evil incarnate. Even though one of his fists says love and the other one says hate, they could both say hate because that guy is a bad, bad man. Mm. And it's his story. Story. Yeah. Um, and it's an incredibly incredible black and white fantasy. It's a great film. And the director was not like would never made another film no, he after was an that. Actor, yeah, who, yeah. who this made this only this film, and I guess the film was not well received. Well, yeah, because it scared a lot of people, yeah. and so it, they, it just scared him straight out it's of the a, business. Considered was, to be a classic. It's now. incredible. Imagine what other films he could have made if. Mm. Oh. Mm. I know it's a shame. Mm. Um, my number one is a film that I've been wanting to get you guys to watch, and a possible future podcast uh, topic is uh, Perfume: The Story of a Murderer, which I think neither of you. Have seen. Or no, maybe you have, John. I no. think I have. Can't remember. Anyway, I think I saw it years ago. Okay, it's yeah. um, it's a story of a of a man who's born with an incredible gift of smell, um, and he uh, likes and he longs to become a perf- a perfumier once he learns uh, about that skill. Um, is a, is a Frenchman, um, but he uh, has a murderous murderous streak also, and is decides that he wants to try to capture the essence of woman by killing women and turning their essence into a perfume. And um, it's plan. his story <laughs> for sure, but he is a monster. Um, and uh, it's, again, uh, like Bram Stoker's Dracula, terrific art direction. Um, and it's great to see a film about the sense of smell. <laughs> hey, here's my top three. Derek says that I read out my top threes in a very emotionless <laughs> manner. <laughs> So why break that habit? <laughs> my number three is the talented Mr. Ripley. Uh, Good choice. My number two is also Night of the Hunter. Uh, nice. 
And my number one is Barry Lyndon, baby. Oh. Oh, Barry Lyndon. He's not a he's not a monster. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah he becomes he's a bad. pretty bad guy. Uh, Barry uh, Lyndon, he's uh, a yeah. shark. He like does he poisons that like that that old guy and then takes his wife and yeah, he's Barry a bad Lyndon's man. Barry a total all right. awesome. All right, I tend to think of him more of like a Forrest Gump, but that's all right. You Just Barry wrong place, wrong time, right place, wrong time kind of guy. Anyway. Oh, no. Barry Lynn is a, he's a bad bloke. Okay. Well, I'll watch it again sometime. Hey, <laughs> uh, final thoughts on Avengers Infinity War. Mikey. Oh, yeah. Ooh. You go first. <laughs> uh, yeah. I uh, really enjoyed it. The, I think the only thing I didn't mention is uh, this is the first time I've seen Spider-Man, and I thought he was great. I really liked him in this film. Yep. I thought he was quite funny. So he was in Civil War. No, oh yeah, I saw him in Civil War, but I didn't see his own yeah. film oh, that he had. Yeah, yeah. So now I'm actually going to I'm kind of enjoy watching that. Oh yeah, what about his uh, scene at the end? That was great. Mm. <laughs> oh, and the other thing is, yeah. did you guys hear... Yeah, okay, what, it um, was, but he, like, just little things like this, it took him so much longer to dissolve than everyone else. Yeah, well. Which to me is just sloppy filmmaking. Like, it just completely sucked me out of it. Everyone just died like that. And he had enough time to wander over to um, Tony Stark, have a bit of a hug, get laid down by Tony Stark, and then <laughs> say, like, I'm sorry, it's my, you know, whatever. Like, it was improvised, though, John. Uh, Come on. <laughs> too, much, too, much, too much sloppiness in this movie from the directors right. and the characters. There All was right. way too much human error, which might have been the point. Chris Pratt, yeah. like, punching Thanos when they've almost got the gauntlet off. Like, yeah. and then coming to after they've lost it and say, did we just lose? Dude, it was totally your fault that they just lost. Yeah. Anyway, he tried to. He shot, he shot her with the bubble gun. That's all. He, t- he eventually did try to shoot her, but bubbles came out. No, no, but I, think, <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. Derek, your final thoughts. I have a couple <laughs> quick ones I'm going to jam in there. One is we talked about him on the podcast before. Love Dave Batista. The scene where he was, was trying to be invisible and not move. I was laughing hysterically. Um, also, too many people give up an Infinity Stone to save somebody else's life, although I understand that may have been strategic in some respects. Um, Doctor Strange is too powerful, but he can see the future. I had one other, and I don't remember what it was, so I will go over to you, John. On the subject of Dave, Dave Batista, I think he's fantastic as Drax, and I generally think he's good in general. I think Drax is used too much for humorous elements in this film and it reminded me of Gimli in the second and third Lord of the Rings and I had this problem with Drax in the second Guardians of the Galaxy 2 the first Guardians Drax was this you know nice blend of dignity and humour and now he's just some you know Eddie Murphy wise cracking Mm. sidekick character and he's funny you know all these scenes are funny but there's too much of it and there's too little weight behind anything he says else Everything you just said is 100% wrong. <laughs> I agree with you on that one, I think, John. Yeah. Um, well, you know, that's the end of the podcast. Already? Uh, yeah. Let's talk for another two hours. What else have you got to say? One more uh, thing, Derek. One more thing. Ah, Peter Dinklage is a giant dwarf. Awesome. Oh, Derek. <laughs> mm. Gets us back to Game of Thrones, right? Oh, no, Derek. You like all the bad parts of this movie. <laughs> Come on, mate. Um... That's a nice note to end on. Thanks for having me, Blakey. Thanks, oh, wait, thanks for thanks for joining me, Blakey. Oh, thanks for having me, John. <laughs> thanks for joining me, Derek. I think I outcoughed you. What? No way, oh. <laughs> Blakey. I didn't. I lost count. Uh, <laughs> there. Okay. Now it's official. <laughs> Thank you. Mm.